Sport. End of the over. Bales are flicked off. We're heading off for a refreshment and a meat pie. And that ends the morning session. That is lunch. This is Grandstand at Lunch. On your radio, ABC Sport Digital. And take us with you on the ABC Listen app. Good to have you with us. Grandstand Cricket at Lunch. Our feature on day three of every test match throughout the summer. Be part of our celebration of Jim Maxwell's 50 years at the ABC. We're going to have a chat to him, reflect back across the summer of all 336-plus test matches that you've broadcast and your 50 years at the ABC. On each day, we're going to have a different theme, your favourite players one day, your favourite test matches another. Today, as we're beginning this thing, let's start with the very early days of Jim Maxwell. Welcome to you. Clint, lovely to be to be sitting alongside you here. It's a, it is a beautiful spot up here in our commentary box, our very spacious commentary box here at the Perth Stadium, and uh, a very good day so far for Australia. It's sort of, it's like normal service resumed against Pakistan, having lost their last 14 tests in Australia, and the fight was good. But then when you just sense when, when Baba got out, this could open up. And, well, hopefully it won't open up too rapidly, but it has that look, I'm afraid. Six for 203, Australia uh, starting to put their foot down. Yes. Don't think you can distract me from the topic at hand here, Tim Maxwell. Which is uh, where are you heading? You. This is the interesting part of the exercise, of course. Thank you for having me on. This is very indulgent. Well, we're prepared to indulge someone for 50 years. <laughs> How did it get started for you at the ABC? Many people know the story, but for those who don't, what actually kicked it all off? Oh, well, it started at school. Uh, I was uh, playing cricket and uh, I was producing a, a magazine for the benefit, the benefit of some, thanks to the typing of my mother, called The Cricket Chronicle. And I, had a, I sold it for sixpence. I am going back. Um, and you could get a prize for the, getting out the crossword or the quiz for sixpence. So, you know, that was the, the come on, as it were. What was the prize? Uh, prize sixpence. So you would get it back. So you'd, yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you got the I, crossword. I, I wasn't in business. I was doing it for fun. <laughs> so if you got first person to get it right, you get sixpence. And first person who got the quiz right, you get sixpence. So, uh, and I was also... About that stage, I was starting to do a bit of uh, bookmaking as well. I was doing football cards, and if you wanted to bet on anything, I'd take the bet. So um, <laughs> I was about uh, 15, I suppose, when that started. And um, that was r really a, a sort of a lubricating my interest in the game beyond playing it at school. And um, it went on really till my last year when the headmaster said to me because he'd heard that I was a bookie he said I think it'd be a good idea now that you're the second prefect at the school to give up the bookmaking so I did um, <laughs> but there you go so I went on for quite a few years at school and I thanked my mother very much for what she did because they used to have these uh, devices called Ronio you'd, you'd put it on this round thing and you'd punch out six copies right but then to do it again, you had to retype it. So she typed it a couple of times, so I had enough copies to go around. There are still some around in the um, uh, school archive, 
um, but some of them have got lost over over the years. There are quite a few of them over over a period of time. So I used to just talk nonsense in, the, in it about um, say it was sixty five six. That was the first one. That was when England came to Australia, and I was talking about the quality of the England side. And I, I look back as I did a couple of months ago at, at some of the stuff, and I thought, gee, you're an idiot. Why, why were you saying that? But the other thing around all that that got me interested in broadcasting was as we moved into 60, 1967, uh, Peter Mears, who'd been at Cranbrook ahead of me, uh, was older and he got his degree at uni. He played first-grade cricket and rugby, a uh, good sportsman. And a traineeship came up around that time in the ABC. That was how the system worked. And um, he put his name up and I thought, oh, well, I'm still at school, I'll just have a dip. Anyway, he got the job, fair enough. Had a bit more experience and everything else. So he's beaten you out the first time you've gone? Yeah. 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 So the next one came up in uh, 1969 when I was at uni. And um, I think... Someone by the name of Peter Miller may have got it. Gordon Bray was around that, but not that, not that one. Um, so I didn't get that one. But I, I got, you know, to an audition process each time, asked questions about my general knowledge of sport. And the second time I then had to write um, a, an editorial about some issue in the game. And I wrote it about um, apartheid um, because that was, you know, very much on the agenda in those days. And... The next time I'd been actually playing cricket in England with the Australian Old Collegians in 1972, and I'd been away, away for quite a few months. We played 90 games between Honolulu, America, Bermuda, England and Geneva. And then I went back to London and, and played some uh, club cricket there with Hampstead. And then I came home and I rang my father from Perth, because that's as far as I could go on British Caledonian, I remember it. And a bloke called Johnny Farnham was on the same plane and he sang. <laughs> really? Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. I remember it to this day. Uh, and I rang my father and said, Dad, um, I haven't got any money left. Can you shout me a trip on the Indian Pacific? Which was $132 from memory. And I went home. And when I got home, my mother, who was, was always interested in what I was or wasn't doing and should have been doing, said, I cut this out of the paper. And it was another one of the ads um, that had come up for a job in the ABC as a sports trainee. And I applied for that and went through a process. It took about six months altogether. And I only found out many, many years later that the last three, one of them was David Morrow. But I never knew that at the time. I said this is 1972 into 1973. And... That was the process of audition, write something. But um, the telling moment was doing commentary. And I had a choice of going to the New South Wales Open at White City to do the tennis or to the Pakistan-Australia test at the SCG. And they gave me the old Nagra up the back of the stand. That's the old big recording yeah, device. Yeah, reel-to-reel one, yeah. yeah. And I did 20 minutes... And I did it actually when Bob Massey and Johnny Watkins put together the partnership that won the game. They added 88 for the ninth wicket, eighth or ninth wicket, mainly off a thick outside edge. There was a guy called Salim Altaf who swung it. And in those days, the SCG had a bit for the, the quicks. So Lily had done his back in, allegedly wasn't going to bowl again. 
and Australia got eked out a lead of 150. And then I don't know whether you remember what happened. Uh, there was a brilliant catch by Ross Edwards in the covers that got Australia on a bit of a roll. And Lily got off the, the bench, off the Masser's table, and he came out off a shorter run and helped Max Walker, who took six for 15, I think. And they bowled Pakistan out for 103 and won the game. So it was 20 minutes of that that went into the office and some weeks later I got a, a, a letter, you know, a very formal letter typed out on a, on a half bit of paper from um, the ABC advising me that uh, I had been successful in my attempt to get a job as a specialist trainee and I started, I think it was about April the 6th that year. Uh, I had to report for, for duty and all of that and uh, it was a couple of years later, Bernie Kerr, who was the head of sport, um, said to me, he said, oh, your, your cricket's coming along. He said, you know, that was the reason you got the job, that, uh, the, the commentary you did out there. Oh, well, thank you, Mr Kerr. Very kind of you to say so. And in fact, I, I was doing um, first-class shield cricket the next season. So I, I got a run pretty early on. And the, the first game I did was New South Wales and New Zealand at the SCG with McGilvery, of course, who became the mentor, the influence, and many other things. And so that's how it started. Uh, right time, right place, perseverance, whatever you want to call it. And um, I finally got the job I'd uh, looked at and wanted ever since I'd, I'd been in a, a teenager at school. Um, I had other ideas about what I wanted to do. My father was a lawyer, a probate lawyer, and he said to me, when I was at university, he said, if you're thinking of coming into this practice, don't. Oh, why? Yeah, why? He said, because all my clients are dead and you have to deal with the beneficiaries. <laughs> so it was a good warning. <laughs> I want to ask you about your parents in just a moment and their influence. Yeah, yeah. We know, obviously, what your mum had to play, that enormous role. I can't let it go without asking for a little more detail John Farnham singing on the... What was the story there? Well, he was coming back from England, obviously, to Australia. And um, he, um, he... You could hear him on the plane. He was just mucking around. But when we got on the bus, there was a group of us who got on the bus to go to the hotel. It was some package deal with British Catalonian. He started singing songs on the bus. Yeah. And he thought, who's this bloke? What's he going on about? He, he sounded all right. He's pretty good. Yeah, he could, yeah, yeah, he yeah. could amount to something. This is 1972, so he hadn't quite hit the top of the pops in those days. But he'd obviously been involved in some gig in England to um, improve his, um, his CV or whatever it was, yeah. So your dad was a lawyer, but mm. also, I understand, sort of involved in the stage. and your He loved acting, yes. He, he, in, he did a lot of acting at university the Sydney University Dramatic Society. And your mum um, had a passion for the English language. And when we think of your broadcasting, you have the flair for the dramatic when required and a wonderful use of the English language and a turn of phrase. How much of an impact did your parents have, do you think, on where you were as a broadcaster? I was never conscious of it, but I'm sure it was very strong. Um, my father, he was a classicist, he was a lawyer, uh, he was a smart fella. Mum, um, she spoke a number of languages, particularly later in life she spoke Spanish. She went and learned Spanish and became an interpreter, worked for SBS doing stuff for them. Uh, she spoke 
Italian. She dabbled in Russian. Uh, she worked um, for um, oh, was, was the British sort of society in Australia going back pre-war, having been a university graduate that uh, was in, involved in relationships between the two countries. Uh, British Institute of... I should remember the name. Anyway, um, yeah, she, she had a very good education. Um, you know, they both came from strong, what you call, middle-class backgrounds. My grandfather, he, he was a lawyer. And my father actually went over to England in 1938 to watch the ashes, but he had to come home because his father died and uh, Dad, one of four brothers, was the only lawyer, and so he had to come back to the practice in 1938. So that, that mucked things up for him a little bit. And, you know, the war came along and my parents didn't get married till after the war. So they were you know, well into their, their 30s, you could say, before that occurred. And I, I came along and, and that was about it. Um, for whatever reason, there weren't any more children. So I was the, the, uh, the spoiled child or whatever you want to call it, yes. <laughs> this is Grandstand at lunch. Day three, the first test, Australia and Pakistan. Pakistan at lunch, six for 203. They trail by 284 runs in Australia's first innings. Saud Shaquille is 12 and Salman will restart. Proceedings on four. We're speaking to Jim Maxwell at lunch on day three throughout the test throughout the summer. We'll reflect on Jim's 50 years at the ABC. Let's talk about, you mentioned your mentor in Alan McGilray and alongside Norman May, how did they influence you and then when you first started and can you still hear them and what they had to say today when you're broadcasting? They didn't say much, they said it on air. McGilvray uh, was fairly cryptic in his advice, uh, you had to ask for it, <clears throat> but every now and then on the back of a few refreshments something could come up and uh, maybe I was bold enough. You have to remember there's a fair difference in our ages, so it was a bit intimidating. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and Lindsay Hassett in the box when I was first doing, uh, well, test cricket, that was a couple of years later, but, yeah, they are all old, experienced, and they knew the game, they'd played the game, so who, who was this upstart who did, crept in as a trainee? What's he think he knows anything about? And uh, I, I, I think the one... A pithy bit of advice that I recall from McGilvray. Son, you'll never be any good unless you listen. I remember that. And I did tell that to other people. Um, because as, uh, I suppose, generally as a society in, in youth, we've become a bit <coughs> more confident than we were in those days about um, saying what we think and the rest of it. Players especially saying what they think. If they had thoughts about various aspects of life beyond playing cricket they didn't tell you because it, um, it was none of anyone else's business and probably the world really didn't want to know and and you know they weren't playing cricket for a living they were playing basically for fun because they weren't getting more than enough to pay for their dry cleaning or their laundry so uh yes there wasn't a lot of advice but what what I did do was I, I, I sat behind McGilvray and I listened and I tried to watch the game and I was learning about the game as much as about the style, the technique of commentary by sitting behind him and listening to how he did it. And I did say to him one day, so just to, can you give me an idea of how you go about what you do? And 
again, he was fairly pithy. He said, mm. copy technique, make your own style. Okay? Mm. Right? That's easy to remember, isn't it? Yeah. So, I, you know, I keep things in my head still. And I keep also, because I was brought up in a different era where the whole commentary was nothing like today. This is so much more, well, relaxed, conversational. It was more formal then, and we were told, uh, remember, give the score, go through the board, and don't talk when the other bloke's talking at the end of the over. And that's the only time that he talks because you're doing the rest of the over. So there was none of this crisscross that we have now. Uh, it, it happened because things change. But uh, I worked with David Renneberg and Jimmy Burke going back in those early years uh, on doing, doing Sheffield Shield. Alan Marks and Norman May were also doing ball-by-ball -ball commentary. Um, Gordon Bray was probably around before he went off to uh, Hobart. He had a stint down there. So it was a good atmosphere. And there were actually people in the ground at the Sheffield Shield match. <laughs> you may not believe that, but it, it, it did have a little bit of atmosphere. So that's how it all began. And then, of course, it, it wasn't just cricket because all of us as trainees were supposed to be versatile. So we were thrown into other things. And you need to also recall in those days... Uh, the ABC did radio and television. They did everything on television, all the major football, the cricket, Olympic, Commonwealth Games. Uh, so there was a whole lot of stuff to get your head around and um, try and be useful at. And, you know, the football was one of them. Rugby, I did rugby league early on. And uh, you had this system in the a ABC where the senior broadcasters would allow you to go along and observe uh, how it was done. And, and then eventually you'd go out to um, Tamworth or Wollongong or something to do a group match near the end of the season. We used to do all those group grand finals in the rugby league. And you'd sit there and you'd have this big harness on with a microphone um, that stood out in, in, in front, front of you rather phatically um, <laughs> to, to do the, do the broadcast. Uh, if, yeah. One of the earliest ones I was doing with a guy... You would remember him, Tony Branson. Yes. Played for St George. Mm. Well, we were in the um, great greyhound box at um, Wollongong. You know, it used to be a dog track down there. And I was facing him and he was facing me because there was only about six more inches available in the box and calling over our shoulder as they went up and down the field. It was a game between Great Britain and Southern New South Wales, I think. This would have been about 74-5, yeah. So you cut your teeth on it. And Sporting Highlights was the daily event, 6.30 every night. Thunder and lightning polka would go off, right? And uh, you'd cruise in and spit out the stuff about Randwick, eight races today, or whatever else you could read. Uh, in the first year I was in the ABC, there was no such thing as a phone recording. All the interviews were either on tape or live in the studio or recorded in the studio. So you did a lot of reading of, of telex stuff. We used to do this thing eventually called cables and we'd get all the overseas stuff overnight and we'd go and read it, 
put it on tape and send it interstate. So the poor people in Western Australia who didn't get a newspaper or something, they got all this overseas news and they used to chop it up and put it in their sporting highlights, which ran for 15 minutes, Monday to Friday, until quarter to seven, when, of course, Blue Hills came on. Blue Hills by Gwen Meredith, right? Great Australian institution, that serial. And then on Friday, of course, poor old Blue Hills got, they got knocked off because we had the Sportsman's Parade. We previewed everything that was happening on the weekend. And then on the weekend, we had a half hour at the end of the, the day of sport that had been on the radio. So there you are. We're going well here. We're chewing out the time. No, I'm enjoying listening to you as we talk these, about These are the wonderful days. old days of uh, working in the ABC with that commitment every day to doing this program. We will continue this chat on day three of the Boxing Day test. Lots to talk about. One very quick one before we go. And yeah. You have to hit about 60 seconds. When do you think your style changed from that old style to now? Do you remember a moment when it happened? I don't know whether it was the fourth or the 400th bottle of red, but I reckon uh, it did something to my <laughs> tonsils or whatever it was. Uh, no, I think just getting a bit older and more experienced, a bit more mellow. My, my voice was much louder in the early days than it is now. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think it just changed through time. Yes. Last one, and everyone will probably... How do you feel when this is people like me and people right around the ground and they keep saying that you have provided the soundtrack of summer to so many people in this nation? Uh, it's very nice of them and the ABC to, to say that. And I have to say, some of the most gratifying broadcasts have not only been in this country, but in England. And no more so than this year on the BBC. That was an absolute highlight. The whole atmosphere in the box and the rest of it. And the number of um, emails, SMSs I was getting from people in England. So um, it's nice to know that uh, Australian broadcasters at cricket matches are appreciated around the world not just in their own backyard. But it's a global game, and that's fair enough. Jim Maxwell, thank you. Corbin Middlemass will continue this chat. Day three at the Boxing Day test.